Hollywood. Nothing personal. Word of the day, May 7th, 2021. Coming to you live from Mile High City. Hollywood ending is not what Albert Pujols had. It's the biggest story of the day, biggest story of the night. To me, it's a story that was inevitable. And fans and executives have two very different perspectives. Executives and media have two very different perspectives on how to handle superstars who are declining, how to deal with contracts that are clearly not marked to market, a concept we've talked about quite a bit on Nothing Personal, where if a player is making $5 million but is an MVP, that player could be earning $30 million and you are obviously gaining a great benefit. If, however, a player is making $30 million and playing like someone who should be making $500,000, you clearly are on the wrong side of a contract that's being marked to market. In a very bizarre ending to a tumultuous tenure, say that five times in a row, a bizarre ending to a tumultuous tenure, a very bizarre ending to a tumultuous tenure. (laughs) I could only get to three, Coca. That's early. Out of nowhere, the Los Angeles Angels announced that they had designated Albert Pujols for assignment. It was then reported that Albert Pujols released by Angels. First, let's educate. Albert Pujols was not released by the Angels. Albert Pujols and nothing personal listeners, if you're new, you you may not know this, but if you're not, here we are, episode 364 of the non-sit-downs, non-mailbags. You know designated for assignment means that a team then has 10 days to trade or release that player. If you trade Albert Pujols, then you don't have to pay him the $30 million because the team you trade him to has to pay him the $30 million he's making this year in the final year of his 10-year $253 million contract, which we're going to talk about. Of course, when you trade a player, you can ask the team who's trading for him to not have to pay all the salary, So you can volunteer to pay some of it and trade them. The Angels could call up the Cardinals and say, we'll pay 25 million of his 30 million. Will you take on 5 million? And the Cardinals will say no. Then they could call the White Sox and say, hey, Tony, do you want to hang out with Albert again? We'll pay 28 million of the 30. And the White Sox will say no. So what happens when you designate a player is you have 10 days to call every team and try to trade your player. And you see a lot of players traded who have been designated for assignment, whose salaries are not large, and they're designated because they can no longer fit on the roster. Roster moves have to be made by teams. You know we've talked about that too. But when someone like Albert Pujols gets designated, anyone who's overpaid like that, even in the final year of a contract, no one's going to take it. So 10 days from now, frankly, what we used to do when we designated a player who we knew we couldn't trade, we'd release him the next day. Because before we would designate a player who was overpaid toward the end of the career, I'm trying to think of any example I can think of. And of course, I'm drawing a quick blank. You would just release him immediately. I think we may have released A.J. Burnett back in the day when he was at the end of his contract. And we, tr- we tried to trade him and we couldn't trade him. But there's a 80% chance I have that completely wrong, and there's a 100% chance that Coco won't be able to tell me whether I have it wrong, because who could remember that? 
That would be, if you're looking, Coca, I believe that would be in 2005. But again, don't test my brain in my current state. So the headline was wrong. Albert Pujols was designated for assignment. Okay. Not released. Why? Because the Angels needed his roster spot. Why? Because Albert Pujols was not being productive as a player. Why? Because Albert Pujols has not been productive as a player for four years. Why now? Because at the end of the day, the Los Angeles Angels have won exactly zero playoff games with Mike Trout. They've won exactly zero playoff games with Albert Pujols since he signed with them in 2012. They currently have the best player in baseball still on the team, Mike Trout, having an MVP year shocking again after April, one month. They've got a two-way player who I still think should be a one-way player, but he Shohei Otani is leading the league in home runs. And when he doesn't DH and hit home runs, he pitches once a week and he's pitching well, some command issues, but he's pitching well. The Angels have Anthony Rendon. The Angels have Coca and Samson pitching for them. It's the same story with this team. They brought in a new GM this year. His name is Perry. They had Perry and Joe, the manager, and John, the president, meet the media to discuss what had taken place and why now. They said quite a few things, but they left out quite a few others. Let's start with what the general manager said. He claimed that this was a baseball decision and that he'd been thinking about it for a couple of weeks. And he went to his president, because you have to do that. You're not releasing Albert Pujols or designating him without speaking to the president who then has to speak to the owner. Because when you release a player, you still have to pay him every two weeks his contract. Let's just assume it's a 30-week season, but it's not. It's just for easy math. He's making $30 million. You're paying him a million dollars a week. And if you release him after five weeks of a 30-week season, they still owe him $25 million. You can't designate or release a player without speaking to your president or owner. So he sits down and he says to the president, you know, we're much better without Albert playing every day. Our analytics say that we'd rather have Walsh play first base. His name is Jared Walsh. He's a low-round pick who's doing fine. Good defensive player. We'd better off having Shohei Otani DH every day when he's not pitching, not Albert. When Albert plays first base, we have a bad defensive team. And by the way, we are 13-17 and 17 in last place in the American League West. We had aspirations and still have aspirations to make the playoffs. And we cannot waste another year of Mike Trout. And we've been holding on to Albert, frankly, for years. But I'm new here. I have no skin in the game. I have no relationship with Albert. He's a surefire Hall of Famer. But my view is we should get rid of him. At which point the president and the owners say, no way. We're not going to do that. Because they've been saying no way for the last three or four years when it's been discussed by any good baseball department who would always have to say that Albert Pujols is no longer helping your team win. And the owner, Artie Moreno, and the president, John Carpino, would respond by saying, 
I understand that, but he does so much in the community. He's had such a great career here with the Angels. Artie Moreno saying he spent almost half his career here and he and his wife have done so much in the community. And then the president talks about all the great milestones, 500 home runs, 600 home runs, 3,000 hits, blah, blah, blah. Now, don't get me wrong. I love the fact that Albert got 3,000 hits with the Angels, just like I'm proud and will always be proud that each row, there you go. If you're playing a drinking game, how many times I'm going to say each row, you're only going to have one drink today. He got his 3,000th hit with Marlins, actually where I am now in Denver, and it was exciting, no doubt about that. But the way you judge a tenure of a player is based on his performance and your team's performance. And if you look back over Albert's performance over this contract, and he's in year 10 of a 10-year contract, and you look over the team performance, it's an absolute abject failure. There's no way to sugarcoat it. And this is not me saying to you that Albert Pujols is not going to be in the Hall of Fame. He is. It's not me saying to you he's not going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He is. It's not me saying to you that I care how old he is today. I'm not. It's not me saying to you that there were rumors that he used, he didn't use. Who cares? That's not what I'm saying either. What I am saying is that when you have a job to run a team, you cannot be emotional about a player at the end of his career, even if that player is one of the top five hitters maybe of all time. The fact that the Angels waited this long to designate him is only because the owner and the president could not find a soft landing and it finally came to a boil when they met with Pujols two days ago, said they weren't going to be playing him. He was going to ride the pine and Pujols said, I'm not doing that. Pujols actually said, I'm not a bench player. He said, I want to play and can play every day. One of the saddest things in dealing with professional athletes is what makes them so special. And what makes them so special is their own delusion about themselves. Because baseball is a game of failure. And baseball players who are good, and Albert Pujols is not good, he's great. He may not be great. He's out of this world in terms of the overall play of his career. He's not willing to believe, as most players are not, that their time has come. Do you remember, oh God, second mention, do you remember when we had to talk to Ichiro about becoming a fourth outfielder and we had to make sure that he was willing to be a fourth outfielder because he's a Hall of Famer, surefire, first ballot Hall of Famer, and we weren't going to start him and he was toward the end of his career and we had to make sure If any team is thinking of claiming Albert Pujols and paying him, they're not. So let's not even talk about that. If any team is thinking of signing Albert Pujols, guess what? You better have the same conversation and say, Albert, you're not going to be starting every day. Are you sure you want to come here? If Albert Pujols signs with another team and rides the bench, then we know that there's even more dysfunction and problem with what happened here at the end of his Angels tenure. But it says here, not on my document. It says here in my brain, as my synapses are firing on a random Friday, Pools has played his last major league game. I do not believe that any team will feel it is worth it to sign him, even at the league minimum. And there's writing going on everywhere 
that he could catch on with the White Sox. He could catch on with the Cardinals. It's not going to happen. Because when we're evaluating whether or not to bring in a player, even at the minimum, we look to see who is that player replacing on the roster. You may know the term wins above replacement. So like in St. Louis, he played for 11 years and had an 86 or something wins against replacement as compared to his 10 years in L.A. when I think he probably had 10 or 11 wins, wins above replacement. I said against replacement. It's above replacement. What we evaluate is financially, if you're bringing in a minimum player, there's no financial exposure because you'd be jettisoning off your active roster a minimum player. That's funny. That's a song by Michael Bublé, everything. That's an alarm that goes off for me. That's live. <laughs> we are looking live. Sorry about that, folks. Don't edit that out, Coco. That's just what happens. <sighs> so wins above replacement. If a player's at the minimum, he's replacing a player who makes the minimum. So we go a step further than that. And we say, what is the opportunity that is being lost on the roster for the player who's going to be sent back to the minors or released in his own right because we're bringing in this other player. What's going to happen to that player's development? What's going on with that player's options? Is it a young player? Do we need that player to get at bats? So therefore, it's better to have someone on the bench who doesn't need at bats, like a veteran player who knows how to be ready to pinch hit and a young player who may not know and you want to get at bats, you want to send him down to the minor leagues to play every day. So maybe Albert Pujols would be a great fit to be on the bench and come in, do an occasional pinch hit, and maybe get a hold of one. He does have five home runs this year. So if I didn't hear from the Angels, I would have told you, hey, maybe there's a shot. But the Angels are telling us that Pujols explicitly stated, and Joe Madden, who is an outstanding man, who is not going to mislead you, was very clear in saying Albert Pujols is a proud man who does not want to be on the bench. There are 29 other teams who look at that press conference and they do not even consider signing Pujols. Could I be wrong about this? Am I even going to make it a wait to see? Yeah, I am. Albert Pujols, book this, Coca. This is the wait to see for today. Albert Pujols will not sign with another team. We're going to hear from Albert one of these days, and I'm excited to hear from him because I want to ask him and I want someone to ask him whether or not it's true that he said he was not going to do anything other than start. We'll see what happens. So, Coca, can I tell you how this show works? It makes me smile. You know, Coca and I prepare for a show. We talk about topics. A lot of topics don't quite make the show because we have a full show and we do 45 minutes and we don't edit it. And when alarms go off or when phones ring or things happen or when I cough or sneeze or fart, whatever I do, it's in the show. But Coca doesn't always know what he wants me to say next or what stories he wants me to tell or what examples he wants me to give because he doesn't always know where this brain of mine is going to go. So here's what he was talking to me about while I was telling you about Pujols and the fact that wait to see he won't sign. There was an A.J. Burnett story that I was talking about, I think, in yesterday's show. When were we talking about A.J. Burnett? We were just talking about him 
um, when he when we had to release him when he wasn't good and we just oh my god, Coca, that was today, that was today. I I knew that. That's funny. Don't worry about me, folks. I'm totally fine. That was in today's show. So AJ Burnett, AJ Burnett, in September of 2005, he had made some comments and he was going to be a free agent. I remember this very clearly. Jack McKeon was the manager of the team. Larry Beinfest was the GM of the team. And there was a situation that happened in our clubhouse where AJ Burnett no longer was going to be in that clubhouse. We were not going to allow him to be with the team. And there was a question about whether or not we could suspend him. We knew we were getting rid of him. We knew we weren't going to give him a qualifying offer. We knew very well we couldn't trade him. He was absolutely untradeable. And so we felt as though the best thing to do would be to release him and try to not pay him under a clause where you have to, in a contract, you have to act a certain way because if you don't act in the best interest of the team, there is a, it can be a, it can be a grievance against you, but you can say, we're not going to pay you. So we go into Jack McKeon and we told Jack that we were going to get rid of Burnett. Jack said he didn't care. He was fine with that. But then we said, we're going to try not to pay him. And I haven't told this before because it's a funny one. And Jack had had power when he was with the Marlins because he had won the World Series in 2003 and we loved him. And this was toward the end of his tenure with us. The team did not perform the way we wanted to in 04 and 05. And Jeffrey, the owner, had his eye on Joe Girardi and wanted Girardi to be the manager in 2006. So this is the end of 2005. We want to make sure we're honoring Jack properly. And Jack said, you got to pay him. Just release him, pay him the rest of the year, and we just, it's, it's not worth the issue that you're going to have with your players today and going forward. I had a disagreement with Jack, one of many disagreements I had with him over the years, because I didn't really care. I was not a big A.J. Burnett guy. He was very mature at that time, Coca. And my view was, screw it and screw him. Let's try as hard as we can to save whatever it was. I can't remember what he was making that year. I want to say $6 million, roughly. So a million a month, and it was toward the end. It would have been, I'm recalling, and there's no chance I have it right, but let's say $400,000 would have been around the savings by not paying him. And Jack just said, the juice is not worth the squeeze. Do not do that to AJ. So they can't, I don't know why Coco was interested in that, because we must have been talking about Burnett today and what happened with that. And But Burnett was not Pujols, Coca, just so we're clear. Burnett was a underperforming baby at that time. Oh, I asked whether we released him and then you remember this story. Got it, Coca. Thank you. That's another funny part about nothing personal where he and I are communicating during the course of a show because he's thinking of things, I'm thinking of things, and then we just keep going. So to conclude our word of the day, which is reality, Hollywood ending, kick to the curb, there is no Hollywood ending for Albert Pujols. It's very clumsy what happened. The Angels were on their last legs with him, and they finally decided they were going to approach Pujols, tell him he wasn't going to play. He said, screw you, I want to play, just release me. And they said, okay, we'll do that. And that's why he got designated. So five years from now, we're going to be talking about Albert Pujols again because he will be a first ballot Hall of Famer into Cooperstown. 
So teams are spending a lot of times right, a lot of time right now dealing with the vaccine issue that I want to talk about a little bit today. The vaccine issue is complicated because what the players' unions in all leagues have decided, along with the commissioner's office in all leagues, is that if players are vaccinated above 85%, then you can relax all of these restrictions that the players don't like. They don't like wearing masks. They don't like social distancing in the clubhouse on the team plane. They like being able to go out to dinner. They like being able to go to bars. They want to be able to do things. And therefore, teams are encouraging their players to get vaccinated. But the country is in, it's such a mess right now because for whatever reason, there are people who believe that getting vaccinated isn't smart. It's the science doesn't show that it helps. You may need a booster in six months and three months and two months and one month. You may get sick for a day. The bottom line is it's become a political issue whether or not you get vaccinated. And there is a story, of course, that vaccinations and vaccines were not available to certain demographics, but now vaccines are available to everyone. There's an oversupply of doses right now in this country. If you want to be vaccinated, you don't have to drive five hours and wait three weeks to get an appointment and refresh your screen the way you had to when the vaccine first came out. You can walk into, wait for it, Yankee Stadium. Yeah. You can walk into Yankee Stadium and get vaccinated during a game. They're starting that. So I want to talk a little bit more about that, but I don't want to get distracted from my vaccination point, which is the push and pull that's going on between players and management as it relates to getting vaccinated. Management wants the players to get vaccinated. The majority of players want to get vaccinated because they don't want to live by the vaccination rules, but there's still a number of players on each team in every sport who choose for whatever is their reason. And I'm not here to poo poo their reason. If it's religious, if it is political, whatever, I don't care if it's health, whatever, they're not going to get vaccinated. And if they don't get vaccinated enough of they, where you are below 85% as a team, then your entire team suffers as a result. So you can have 80% of your players fully double vaxxed. Everything's great. But every problem that you have as a team where you have to have team meetings that are socially distanced, where everyone's wearing masks, where all of those restrictions are in place, that becomes a practical issue for management. Yesterday, there was an interview that Brandon Bean did. Brandon Bean is not related to Billy Bean. Brandon Bean, however, has the same job. He's the GM of a team called the Buffalo Bills. Brandon Bean said something that he's going to get in trouble for because the players union is going to hear it in the NFL and all of the fighting that's going on right now with the NFL between the players union and the commissioner's office, like in baseball, like in basketball, it's going on in every sport because of that's the nature of, of, of the beast at the moment, especially during these crazy times all the voluntary workouts and whether or not players get paid when they're injured, that subject that we talked about yesterday, the players union responded by saying that's horse hockey. So there's just tension. So Brandon Bean, the Bills GM, goes on the radio. And I kid you not, he said when asked, I would cut players if they're not vaccinated. I, I almost jumped out of my shoes. He said, I know there's going to be incentives, right? If you have X number of players and staff vaccinated, you can live a normal life. Get back to the old days. 
But if you don't, it's going to look more like last year with those socially distant meetings, he said. Meetings that have to be virtual, masks being worn, etc. His view is that he wants to have a team of fully vaccinated players at least over 85%. That is a view shared by many teams, but spoken by none. No teams are allowed to or should be allowed to pressure their players into getting vaccinated. If the Bills do waive a player who otherwise should have made the team because that player is not vaccinated, A, that's not really good for competitiveness. B, is that fair? How's this for an answer? You're goddamn right it is. That's my Jack Nichols imitation for the day from a few good men. Did you order the code red? Did you order this player to be waived because he's not vaccinated? Yes, I did. I started thinking more about this topic last night because I knew I wanted to discuss it. Maybe he's right. Maybe it is an advantage to have a fully vaccinated team because all of the rumors that we thought would happen during COVID where there would be a great advantage to teams who stayed the healthiest because so many people were testing positive. When you test positive, you have to go on the COVID reserve list and then you have to quarantine and then you have to be better, yada, yada. It really hasn't turned out that way. The Marlins had an issue. The Cardinals had an issue. The Nationals have had an issue. Some players on different teams have had issues. The NBA, we thought the healthiest team in the bubble, the team that stayed the safest, would be successful. When the NBA started this season, this shortened season, we thought the team, now that the players are traveling again, the team that behaves the best is going to win. It turns out the positivity rate among athletes playing in professional games is so far below the average positivity rate that the fear that executives had ended up being unfounded. So it's not that being of the Bills can claim that there is a competitive advantage to not having socially distant meetings and masks and all those. He can't claim that he wants only vaccinated players because he wants to stay healthy and have his whole team together. He would simply have to say that I am cutting this player because he didn't make our team. And even if it's a close call, that's not grievable. There is allowed to be a difference of opinion between evaluators. And the union may not like that a player gets waived or cut. But at the end of the day, every GM and owner and president has a right to make the team out of whatever players he or she or they want. If, however, the Bills do it after what Bean has said, he's opening himself up. I don't know why he would do it. It's going to be fun to watch. So I was talking about the Yankees before, and I want to get back to that because what's going on in New York is Cuomo, the governor in New York, has said that if you want to be in full, at full capacity, that's fine. We're going to allow full capacity in certain vaccinated sections. Do you remember the first NBA team that had a vaccinated section, Coca? It was the hometown Miami Heat. Do you know why they don't have a vaccinated section anymore? Because Governor Ron DeSantis made it illegal. Okay, no problem. In New York, it's not illegal. 
and vaccinated sections are going to happen. And the governor said, if you are vaccinated in a vaccinated section, you are able to be full capacity, have fun. Still have to wear masks, et cetera, if you're not eating or drinking, but at least it looks like a full crowd. So the Yankees, in order to foment this level of fan participation and therefore revenue, and having the ability to say that they are pro-vax and they are trying to be a good community partner, they are now offering vaccines to fans, the Johnson & Johnson single-dose vaccine starting, you know, in two weeks. And if you go to a game, buy a ticket, get vaccinated, you then have the right to sit in the vaccinated section and you get a free ticket to another game. I think the Mets are going to do it too. And it's a very interesting New York law. And it shows how political the whole COVID situation and pandemic not just has become, but will always be. You don't need to ask where certain teams are politically, what cities, what towns, what countries. Well, not what countries, what states. For you to figure out why certain things are happening the way they are. Do you know MLB right now only has 11 teams out of 30 at the 85% threshold? 11 teams. That is a symbol of the issue we have in our country. Only 11 teams have been able to get to 85% because of all the nonsense surrounding the vaccine and all the misinformation. I think it's great what the Yankees and Mets are doing. And I really hope that people do go to those games, even if you're going to boo and get angry with the Astros. Did you see, Coco, what they were doing to the Astros this past few days? It was insane. There was a there was a video I saw of a guy with a Stanton shirt. Stanton, who, by the way, our preseason MVP pick, is having an outstanding one of his toured runs where he can carry a team. So he's wearing a Stanton shirt, and he was standing on a, uh, on a railing. Can you imagine how drunk he must have been? On a railing, giving the double bird to the Astros in the outfield. And he was escorted out. But the Astros just got absolutely crushed by Yankee fans. And the Yankees want more fans in the stands. So they're going to start vaccinating them. I'm in. I'm all in. All right, we've got to get to this movie review because I just watched this and uh, we need to talk about it. But I also want to talk about uh, our nothing personal pick of the day because if you're not paying attention, then I, I, I don't know why you're not. Anything else, Coca? Do you want me to tease anything else for after the break? I think we should maybe tease what's going on in Arizona. That's a big story. I think I'm going to want to talk about that, especially because it's so you want to talk to Samson. We will be right back. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. 
After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's Friday, May the 7th. We're on the Nothing Personal road trip. If you're watching on YouTube, Nothing Personal with David Sampson, please just hit subscribe. And you can see that the Nothing Personal sweatshirt. You can see a little bit of beard growth if you're listening. And we, so many of you are. Thank you. Uh, we're heading off to another state today. We'll let you know where when we get there because... That's part of the greatness of the road trip. You never know where nothing personal is going. It just goes. But we continue to watch movies every day. I've still, with all the driving and everything else, watch a movie every day. And uh, I watched a movie, spent 20 bucks on it. It's called Every Breath You Take. And it's not the song by the police. Every breath you take. You've heard that song. I Coca, have you actually, this is a good question for you, Coca. You're general. What are you, a millennial or generation Q or Z or X or whatever? Have you heard the song by the police, Every Breath You Take? Coca has, I can't hear you. You have Coca? Okay, that's good. It's a pretty, pretty famous song. So this movie has nothing to do with the song, Every Breath You Take. It stars Casey Affleck and Michelle Monaghan. Michelle Monaghan from Mission Impossible, but also from a movie I love, if you haven't seen, called Source Code which is one of my uh, all-time favorites. Not in my top 100, but I love watching it with Jake Gyllenhaal and Michelle Monaghan. Source code, it's called. But this movie is called Every Breath You Take. Casey Affleck plays a psychologist. They have a tragedy, and the movie is about how the family deals with the tragedy. It is slow. Casey Affleck plays a character that he's been playing now since he won his Oscar for Manchester by the Sea. He's got sort of the, the puppy eyes and he sort of slogs around the screen just with his shoulders down. And he's got issues. The family has issues. He's got to deal with some issues. They've got a daughter and I don't want to give too much away here. Spoiler alert. But on the other hand, if I'm not suggesting you spend $20 to watch the movie, Coco, why can't I spoil the whole movie? I think I should be able to, right? Okay. He's a psychologist, and he's married to Michelle Monaghan. They get into a car crash, Michelle Monaghan, with her child, their child. The child dies. Michelle Monaghan then goes back to Casey Affleck, and they have trouble, obviously, in their marriage because they have a dead child. They have a stepdaughter who's his daughter from a previous relationship who was not in the car and lives. Then all of a sudden, as a psychologist, he has a patient who dies, and then that patient's sibling comes and starts torturing Cape Fear style Casey Affleck and Casey Affleck's family, including by trying to have a fair, an affair with Michelle Monaghan. Yeah, it was just okay. It's not worth 20 bucks. Every breath you take. But of course, I had to watch the entire movie. Nothing personal pick of the day. Please tell me, did pa- hey, Coca, did Paige take the, uh, the Mavs plus three? I'm really hoping he did. Because for whatever reason, you all thought I was crazy. The Mavs beat the Nets last night. We are now 58 and 40. So we're going to stick with the NBA. We're going to do a weekend's worth of picks, though. 58 and 40. 
nothing personal pick of the day today. The Knicks are on a brutal road trip. Brutal. And they're not even close to being done. They're playing Phoenix tonight. Then they're going to L.A. to play the Clippers and the Lakers. For whatever reason, unbeknownst to me, the Knicks are historically good this year against the spread. We picked against them when they played in Denver, and we won that, as you may recall, two days ago. The Knicks, I want to say, are 65% against the spread. Some number that is truly uh, could end up third best in the history of basketball. So they're playing the Suns, who you may know, are now only one game behind the Jazz for the best record in the West and potentially the best record in all of basketball. Explain to me why the Suns are giving six points to the Knicks and not nine. I just, I cannot figure it out for the life of me. Suns minus six. Take them. Friday night, May 7th. Let's give you a weekend pick, and we're going to do a little baseball. Uh, Are you aware the San Francisco Giants are in first place and the Los Angeles Dodgers are in third place? Are you aware how little that matters right now? Are you aware that the Giants have maybe the best pitching right now in baseball through May 7th? Best DRA, bullpen, and starters, maybe? Are you aware that the Padres are maybe a half game above and they're pitching a guy on Saturday named Joe Musgrove who had a no-hitter, the second of three no-hitters, in baseball this year? Well, I'm taking the Giants over the Padres on Saturday. Gaussman is, he's pitching way above his pay grade. Musgrove is pitching way above his pay grade. But the bet here is that the Giants will be able to stick it out for another, I'm going to say week or two. After Memorial Day is when the standings will start looking the way they're supposed to look. Baseball standings do not look anything like they're going to look at the end of the year now. That is for sure. And that actually is going to inform our Sunday pick as well. But Saturday, take the Giants over the Padres. Sunday, I'm going back to the well with my preseason pick to win the AL Central. They're one of the worst teams in baseball, the Minnesota Twins. They've got to start winning, and I mean right now. Right now. They've got Maeda going against the Tigers. The Tigers, I think, have won eight games. The Tigers have their best pitcher pitching, a guy named Matthew Boyd. But the reason why we're taking the Twins is that there's going to be great value in this game because Maeda has not pitched perfectly. Boyd has pitched great and I like value. So to recap, the nothing personal pick of the day, which we are at 58 and 40, which ain't bad. We're taking the Suns minus six over the Knicks on Friday, the Giants over the Padres on Saturday, and the Twins over the Tigers on Sunday. So one of the other things that we do at Nothing Personal, in addition to watching movies every day, you follow me on Twitter at David P. Sampson, and you ask questions, and then we try to do a segment each day on an interesting question. What do we have today, Coca? You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. You know what I want. I don't want to talk to Samson. I have to hear him every single day. Do you know that no matter where, what you're going through, no matter where you are, you always have to look at yourself in the mirror? I guess you could have no mirrors, but you still are with yourself and all of the crazy baggage that you have. Can't run away from that. There's no road trip that gets rid of that. I don't know why I said that, because maybe that was in my head. So you want to talk to Samson. It's from the movie Half-Baked. So I found out from CBS that there's a ton of new listeners to Nothing Personal. So thank you. If that's you, you've downloaded, you've subscribed, you've followed. Thank you. So this segment is from a movie called Half-Baked, where there was a drug dealer and everyone wanted to talk to him. Well, I think what they wanted was to get weed. And uh, there's a saying they say, which is, so you want to talk to Samson. So you get into my Twitter at David P. Samson and ask a question. 
And I'm going to try to get to it if I can, if it's interesting. This is a question from a couple of days ago that didn't make the show, but it made today's show because I looked at it more carefully and I really do want to answer it. And not on Twitter, right here on the show. Hey, David. Hey, hello. People start that with their DMs. Hey, David, big fan of the show. Thank you. I appreciate that. Arizona Governor Doug Ducey passed a bill that's allowing the Arizona Diamondbacks to place up to a 9% tax on anything sold at the current ballpark. Can you please explain what is going on here? Are Arizona taxpayers getting double taxed? Great question. I want to tell you what went on here because I've known the president of the Diamondbacks for a long time. His name is Derek Hall. He is a good man. As president of Diamondbacks, he cut a deal and has been with Arizona trying to figure out how to get a new ballpark. I spent quite a bit of time back in the day talking about getting a new ballpark and the difficulty that there is in getting a new ballpark, and you have to play hardball, something the Tampa Bay Rays, as an example, are unwilling to do at the moment, but Derek Hall is willing to do. He went to Arizona and to the public, to the government, and said, I'm going to sue you. And the reason I'm going to sue you, and this was, I want to say Maricopa County, but I may be completely making that up, Coca, but I believe it is the Maricopa County in Arizona. There was an arrangement when Chase Field opened, and it's not called Chase Field anymore, but where the Diamondbacks play. Maybe it is called Chase Field. I can't believe I've forgotten what every stadium is called because they keep changing their names. I just know it's not Lone Depot Park or Pro Player. So the deal that was cut said that the Diamondbacks facility where they play has to be a first-class facility as compared to a number of other baseball facilities. So he went to the government and said, hey, this, this ballpark's old. It's one of the third oldest ballparks. I think it's the third oldest ballpark in the National League. We need to retrofit it. We need to update it. You need to give us money. And they said, forget it. We're not giving you money. So he then said, no problem. We're going to move the team. We're going to find another place to play. We may go to Vegas. Who would ever threaten to relocate a team trying to get public financing? You'd have to be crazy to do that. <laughs> crazy as a fox. So what's going to happen is Derek Hall is not going to move the Diamondbacks. So he's negotiating with them to try to figure out another way to pay for the improvements that are needed. And guess what? Guess who's going to pay? It's certainly not the owner, Ken Kendrick. It's you. What we do as owners of your favorite baseball teams and football teams and basketball teams is we claim that we are doing everything we can. We say that we don't want there to be a tax on the community, that we don't want public money, but we all do. They're called user fees, tourist taxes. However you want to call them, however you want to spin it. The way I used to spin Marlins Park being funded is that it was not funded by local Floridians. It was funded by tourists, which is true. It's a tourist tax. And we were taking a percentage of an already existing tax. 
So there was going to be no tax increase at all. That's one way to do it. What the Diamondbacks are now proposing and what they got the governor to allow is that the Diamondbacks can charge a 9%. Can you imagine this for a minute, please? If you spend $10 on a soda, they can charge up to a dollar of that. I'm, I'm saying 10% just for math purposes, or 90 cents of that as a tax that you have to pay as a Diamondbacks fan in the ballpark and that money is used to build or repair the current chase field. Are you understanding what I'm saying? You're going to go to a game, and they're going to increase their pricing by the amount of the tax. Let me explain what that means. If you used to pay $10 for a soda, and now you're still going to pay $10 but 90 cents of that is going to go to improve Chase Field. Guess who's paying for the improvements to Chase Field? The owners of the Diamondbacks. Because that 90 cents would have gone into their pocket. So they're not going to do that. What they're going to do is increase the price of the soda to $10.90, take 90 cents, and use it from your pocket to improve the ballpark. Why aren't people reacting to this more? Is it because you say to yourself, I'm going to go to a game anyway, even if I know I'm paying for replacements of this ballpark? Because when I go to a game, I know they use my money to get players, and I hope they get good players, and I want them to be competitive. Or do I say I'm going to a game for the experience, and the owners of the team are doing a service for me because I get entertained for three and a half hours, 81 times a year, and I'm perfectly fine paying my share to help upkeep a stadium? Or are you saying that owners are rich billionaires and they should never have anything financed for them and I'm certainly not going to participate in that, so I'm not going to a game? You could say any of those things. And here's what the Diamondbacks will respond in return. We don't care. Because enough of you will keep coming to games and we will get exactly what we wanted. So to all of you Diamondback fans out there, it's just business. Have a great weekend. It's nothing personal. 